to the Locked On Leafs podcast. Who wants to stop shop for all things Leafs? I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked On Leafs. And if you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating and review. Uh, that would be fantastic. All right, we got some big breaking news that just came down tonight. Ilya Mikheyev has signed a two-year contract extension, avoiding arbitration. We'll tell you all about that news. Uh, and then because that was really the big final signing, I think the, the only player that's still remaining is uh, Travis Dermott. And out, outside of that, this is the lineup. This is who I think we're going with going forward. I believe that is uh, pretty much what, what Kyle Dubas said. He doesn't expect to do anything Overly large, at least uh, between now and the beginning of the season. So what we're going to do is, well, I'm just going to go through who I think the lines uh, are going to look like come opening night. If I had the the, the the lineup card, how would I deploy them? So we're going to take a look at the forward lines, and we're going to take a look at the defensive pairings. But first, let's talk about this Ilya Mikheyev contract. Two years, $1.645 million per season. And that's not bad. That honestly is a pretty good deal for somebody who you expect to be a middle six player. Right now, I think he's penciled in as your second line left winger. Man, to get him for one point six million for for two seasons that that's unbelievable. That is some shrewd, shrewd GMing by Kyle Dubas. You know, McCabe didn't really have a leg to stand on, right? So he was going into arbitration and he was asking for two point four million dollars. But you know, as I kind of laid out a little bit yesterday, it's unprecedented for somebody like him to be making that much money. He only played 39 games in the NHL. 39 games. And he was trying to make $2.4 million in arbitration. It would have been a tough case. He did well, you know, 23 points in those 39 games. But then he came back in the playoffs and kind of laid an egg. You know, zero points through five games. And, you know, it, it just wasn't that great all around for, for the team. But McKay especially uh, didn't didn't look too, too good once uh, the playoffs started. But, um. Yeah, I think this is a good deal. It really is. He's somebody who the Leafs need in their lineup. He, he's an energetic player. You know, he's kind of like the Energizer Bunny. He's, he's got like some Hyman Light-esque to him. Uh, he's a guy who's not afraid to be a little physical. He could play on your penalty kill. Um, you know, he's energetic. He can, he can score. He's proven that he could score. He had eight goals in his 39 uh, games that he played. And keep in mind, that was... He was coming over from Russia, too. So there were, there had to be a little bit of an adjustment period, which leads me to believe that, you know, his second year in North America, there could be a nice little jump here that he could have uh, going into year two. Um, so with this, two years, 1.645, the Leafs currently sit at $675,000 over the cap. So they are technically over the cap as we speak. Is that a problem? No. I'll explain why. So currently, as I'm taking a look at at the cap friendly uh, cap friendly page for the Maple Leafs, you know capfriendly.com. I'm sure most of you guys uh, live on this page, like a lot of uh, hockey fans do. But so it's showing that um, you know they're in the red right now. They're they're over the cap by six hundred seventy five thousand. So they need to cut down uh, that amount of cap by opening night. Well, how do they do that? It's actually quite easy because. Right now, as it shows, they have 22 players in their uh, lineup. That's that's 22 players that is in the NHL right now. So they can easily send two guys down and just roll with 20 players. And that's most likely what they'll do. Right? That's the type of creativity that this Leafs team 
tends to do in order to kind of get around this this cap maneuvering. Like typically you see uh you know 23 you can have up to 23 guys on your NHL roster. But I mean, why would you want to have 23 guys because if you just have 20, that extra 3 guys you can use to put towards, you know, the, the cap of the 20 players who are actually going to be iced every single night. All right? Your 12 forwards, uh your your 7D and then your two goalies or your 6D and your two goalies. Right, that makes twenty, and that's how many players get iced every single night. So I believe that is something that the Leafs are going to toy with, um, try and just go the twenty-man unit for the most part throughout uh, the early portions of the season, at least. And then once you know injuries occur or or um, you know some other cap finagling that they get them that they kind of learn how to do. And I, I don't know the ins and outs of the cap. I'm not Brandon Pridham, but apparently the way it works ish from like a very basic and loose understanding is that you can accrue extra cap space for having less, uh, or the more cap space you have earlier in the season, you can kind of accrue that and tack it on later in the season. And that's why you see teams going out and making some big splashes at the deadline because they've accrued a little bit of extra space that they can go and spend on the deadline. Um, so the Leafs are, are going to be looking to do that by only having 20 guys on their roster. Now, they do currently, you know, sitting at 22, they do need to get rid of one for sure in order to get to that $81 million threshold that they have to be at. That's pretty easy to do. Like, I'm taking a look at at this lineup of the guys who are here right now. And, I mean, send down Travis Boyd. You know, that right away, you send down Travis Boyd, now you're under the cap. Boom. No issues. And you still actually have an extra player to play with here. Uh, but <clears throat> now you're thinking, okay, so we have, uh, okay, we got an extra player up there in Pierre Engvall. Or not Pierre Engvall. Actually, part of this move that that happened today with Ilya Mikheyev, I forgot to mention it. Pierre Engvall was technically buried into the minors. He was sent down to the minors. I believe it was just a paper deal in order for them to to kind of get themselves situated. And then once Dermot kind of signs and they figure out exactly where their cap sits, they can kind of maneuver the lineup into the way that that they want to make it so that the their top 20 players are on the team. And then the other guys who they can send down get papered down to the minors and aren't going up against the cap. And I expect for that to basically happen all throughout the season. So, you know, the fact that McCabe's contract uh, for 1.645 put them over the cap, it's not an issue because the way that the Leafs are going to maneuver it, um, they'll they'll get themselves below the cap. And even once we get Dermot on our contract, I still believe that they'll be able to get uh, under the cap by just having a 20-man unit going forward for the rest of the season as opposed to having 23 guys on your NHL roster. Um, not to say that those other three guys who are typically there aren't going to stay with the team. Like I said, it's pretty much just going to be a paper transaction. Uh, I, I would assume it's going to be that way at least. That would be the, the smart thing. We're also not exactly sure if there's even going to be an AHL season anyway, so you may get that taxi squad that you kind of saw in the playoffs where they actually have 33 men who you know are eligible to play for you uh, kind of on your NHL roster like we saw, like I said, in the playoffs. Um, so we'll see what ends up happening. They they can just use the twenty as their you know game day fix, I guess, as their game day roster uh, to go against the cap. But um, yeah, another cool thing to note actually about McCabe's deal: supposedly he took less money than an originally agreed upon deal to fit under the team's cap. 
I believe that because I had heard a while ago, kind of before the playoffs started, and during like the break that they had already previously negotiated a, a rough, you know, a rough work contract, and it was kind of just papered and put in a drawer and said, "Yeah, we'll get we'll get this done with at the end of the season." And just based on how things played out, Mikheyev, well, the Leafs just weren't able to pay him as much as they once said they were going to, which I believe was upwards of two million uh, between one point one point eight and two million dollars is, is what I what I read. I think I saw is what was technically tabled to him before, and he ends up signing for one point six four five because you know that that's how the only way he could stick with the team and fit under the team's cap. So that's that's a, a selfless play by Ilya Mikheyev. You know, he's selfless on the ice. He's selfless off the ice. Superman is here to stay. He's inked a new two-year contract to stick around with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So Ilya Mikheyev is back, um, which I, I never expected him to leave. I knew this would eventually happen. Like, they were supposed to go to arbitration tomorrow. And it's very common that these deals, these arbitration cases, end up actually getting settled within, like, 24 hours of arbitration. I remember um, somebody was sharing a story today on the radio and they said they were sitting down having a coffee or an agent was sharing a story that they were sitting down having a coffee just before going into the hearing, the agent and the GM, and they actually hammered out a deal literally right before they were going in to do the hearing. And then they got there and said, oh, make your cases. Actually, we've agreed on a contract and we're, we're settling ourselves. <laughs> it was like two minutes before the case or the arbitration hearing was actually about to happen. So um, the Leafs not chancing it. That late and that, uh, you know, to the final final minute there, but able to get him under contract about 24 hours before they're supposed to go to arbitration. And he's going to be a Maple Leaf the next couple of seasons at $1.645 million. Where does he fit into the lineup? Well, I'll tell you where I think he's going to fit next when I go through what I believe to be the forward line's going forward uh, into the to, to start the 2020-2021 season. It was also strange. If, if they don't start in December, can you even call it the 2020-2021 season? Or is it just going to be the 2021 season? We need to figure that out. Because I would rather say that because 2020-2021, is ex- it's a mouthful. So if I can just say 2021 season, that would be fantastic. Uh, But before we do get into all that, I do want to tell you guys all about one of today's show sponsors, and that's Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and to choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, price at Rock Auto are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck and write Locked On on their How'd You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts a car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. 
I want to tell you guys all about Built Go. It's the Built Bar's newest product. Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. Break through your wall, whether it's mental or a physical wall. Break through with Go every day. It's easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. Put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever. Your golf bag to power you through the back nine. Or put it in your pocket to get you through the day. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for the body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. It's got three delicious flavors. You can get either peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, or chocolate mint. How's the Built Go work so well? Well, let me tell you. The Built Go combined energy gel with collagen protein and the collagen protein is fast absorbing so it gets into the system fast plus it's easy on the stomach collagen promotes joint soft tissue hair and skin health this stuff literally makes you look better visit bilkgo.com and use the promo code locked and you get 20% off your next order use promo code locked for 20% off bilkgo.com let's go all right welcome back to locked on these podcast mike DeStefano with you uh, so Ilya Mikheyev locked up to a two-year deal, and where does he fit in this lineup? Well, let me tell you, because this fun little exercise that we're going to be doing here, I, I'm playing the role of Sheldon Keefe. I got the lineup card, and this is how I'm deploying the troops for the 2021 season for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And yes, over the course of that break, I decided I'm just going to say 2021 because it's easier to say. So line number one. I don't think it's going to change very much. This whole top six, actually, to be quite honest with you, I don't think it's going to change. I got Hyman, Matthews, and Nylander. They worked last year. They were really good. Like, Hyman and, and, and Matthews and Nylander were a pretty solid line. They didn't quite cook it up in the playoffs like we had hoped they would. But, I mean, Nylander and Matthews together put up nearly 80, like, I'm pretty sure they put up 80 goals between the two of them. 80 goals between those two. So, you know, why would you split them up? And then Zach Hyman, he's the guy who goes and digs up the puck and gets it over to these two so that they can score. So, I mean, that's just a line that I don't think they should be touching. I've heard, why not try and maybe have a super line and and move around Tavares and, or, or move, uh, you know, have Matthews play with like McKayev and Simmons and then have Nylander, Marner, and Tavares on the line. The, why? Don't. <laughs> what's the What's the old saying there? Don't fix it if it ain't broke. And Matthews, Hyman, and Nylander is not broken yet. It worked last year for the most part. And, uh, you know, keep it rolling. Keep it going. And the second line, well, this is where I see Ilya Mikheyev check it in to start the year. I think that he's earned the right to be the second line winger. And I think it's interesting that if they would have went to arbitration, the Maple Leafs probably would have neglected to discuss what role he would have been taking. And Ilya McKayev probably, or his agent Dan Milstein, probably would have been like, I mean, you guys finished off the year of having him as your second-line winger. And it seems like all the media personalities and pundits are penciling him as your second-line winger. You're probably going to end up using him as a second-liner. Therefore, this is the going rate for a second-line winger. Now, luckily... Kyle Dubas paid a little bit more than he originally wanted to uh, when they submitted at $1 million for their arbitration case and moved it up to 1.645 so that they didn't have to go to arbitration so that uh, they didn't roll the dice and maybe Mikheyev would have been able to make enough of an argument to get more than that. And obviously now we know that that was basically all they could afford was that price. 
But at the end of the day, I do still think that he ends up as a second-line left winger um, right next to John Tavares and Mitch Marner. I I, gotta, I think Marner and, and Tavares didn't quite get going last year. Marner was taken off that wing and put with, with Matthews for a little bit last year, too. And, and for whatever reason, neither of those two were as magical as they were in year one, right? Where I think Joe Tavares put up 47 goals, a career high. Marner uh, was, was, was having a, a career season as well. So I think that they could really spark something up. And if you listen to the media members who were at the scrimmages before the Maple Leafs went into the bubble, this line of Marner, Tavares, and Mikheyev was elite. It was phenomenal. And that's why there was so much buzz heading into the playoffs about Mikheyev and how good he looked when he was coming back because he was the, the MVP of those scrimmages before the return to play. And it just, for whatever reason, once he got into the game, it didn't transition and he had a pretty, a really poor playoffs, actually. Not not even just like pretty bad, but like it was really poor. So um, hopefully that was just, you know, a, a blip on the radar and he could pick it up and that line can kind of pick up uh, where they left off. And, and Marner and Tavares can refine that magic that they had the first season that they were together um, when they were just automatic. Moving on to the third line. I like. I wish I could put somebody other than Kerfoot here in this third line spot. But, okay, so I have two different theories. If this is just for opening night, I could see Joe Thornton coming and being the opening night uh, third line center, which technically is what I'm kind of putting together here is our opening up lineup. But ultimately, I believe Kerfoot will end up being the third line center. So that's where I got him here. And I got Thornton on the fourth line. But we'll get to that in a sec. Let's stick to the third line right now. So Kerfoot, I got penciled in on the third line. To his left, I have Jimmy Vesey. I've spoken about how I believe that they bring on that they brought in Jimmy Vesey, and a big reason for it is because him and Kerfoot, back when they both were at Harvard, I also have a theory about Harvard University because the Maple Leafs, they got two kids from Harvard now, and they got two prospects from Harvard that they've drafted. One last year, Nick Abruzzese, and then they have a, another one this year that I think is going to Harvard as well. So they like their smart kids, by the way. So they've got Kerfoot and VC as the left wing and centerman. And then I believe that Wayne Sims is going to check in here as, as the third line right winger. And that's your third line. Jimmy VC, Alex Kerfoot, Wayne Simmons. I like it. I kind of, I, I do like it. You could flip, you know, Joe Thornton and Kerfoot if you really want, or move Kerfoot to the wing and move VC down a bit. It is possible. I, I there are some different combinations that you could do here, but for the purposes of of my lineup, since I have the roster card, I do believe that Kerfoot and VC will have an opportunity to play together, and this is the way that I think uh, that, that that it works. This is the way I think it'll work, and then. You know, Simmons, this is a guy who you brought in to be your, you know, to take over Kapanen's role uh, as your third line winger who, who you know, plays well defensively um, and, and can bring a little bit of an edge. And that's what Simmons will do. So that's my third line. Fourth line, there are going to be some conversations about who plays on the fourth line. Do you want Nick Robertson on your fourth line? Because you'll notice that his name has not come up yet. Now, Nick Robertson played his first NHL games in the return to play, and he looked not bad. He, he looked pretty good. But I don't, I, I don't know if he fits as a fourth liner. Like, he may be a guy who's better off playing in the minors 
And 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 that's the thing. I don't know if we're going to have a minor league team, but he's somebody who needs minutes. So Nick Robertson, and the thing is, too, he may actually be eligible to go back to the OHL, in which case, do you really want to send him back? Like, he tore up the O last year. He had, what, like 56 goals in, like, 46 games or something like that. Just tore it up, rip it up. And uh, played okay in, in, in his limited action that he saw through the playoffs. But, you know, is a fourth-line role really good for Robertson? Like, if he's not going to be playing enough minutes, is it worth it for him to be out there? And is it worth it for the Leafs to kind of uh, lose out on a year of, of his rookie deal? I don't know. But for, these, for, for right now, I do have Robertson in here. Um, Pierre Engvall is also a guy who has an opportunity to be here. The only thing when it comes to Engvall is that he's currently buried in the minors. And like I said, once they figure out what they're doing with Dermot's contract and where their numbers really sit at, I think then you'll, you'll kind of see some more shifting in who gets sent down and who gets brought up. And we'll see where everyone lands. Like, I don't, I, I'm not sold that Robertson even makes the team or, or makes the lineup opening night. Right, they may opt to go for for a more experience and a bigger bigger team. In which case, I think you're going to see a guy like Engvall get the nod over Robertson. And if that's the case, I don't know. But I think you know between BC Robertson and, and Pierre Engvall, I think those three players are battling for those bottom six left wing positions. And for the purposes of tonight, we're going to go with Robertson, centered by Joe Thornton, the new man on the block. Jumbo Joe, the old grizzled vet, got him as my fourth-line center, and Jason Spezza. I don't love the idea of Thornton and Spezza on a line together just because, you know, I they're just really not the best skaters, to say it lightly, at this point in their careers. So if they end up getting hemmed in their own zone... You know, I, I, I'm not as as sold that they'll be able to get themselves out of some sticky situations up against, you know, certain lineups. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong. And I've heard some guy, like James Myrtle was, was from The Athletic. He came out and he was speaking on, on Joe Thornton and, how last year, if you look at the underlying numbers, they suggest that he wasn't uh, he wasn't as he didn't take as much of a dip in production as it made it seem, and that he still can be a quality player, which is why Myrtle actually believes that he'll end up being a third line center, which he very well could be, very well could be. Um, and then you got Jason Spezza, because I refuse to scratch Jason Spezza. Uh, in back-to-back years on opening night. I crucified, (laughs) absolutely crucified Mike Babcock for doing it a year ago. Different situation than it it would be this season, of course. But after crucifying Babs, I can't do it myself. That would just make me a hypocrite, and that's not the world that I want to live in. So uh, that's that's what I'm going with my fourth line right now. Robertson, Thornton, and Spezza. So... Those are the forward lines that if I had the lineup card, I would be putting forward on the ice game one of the 2021 season, whenever that is, whether it's, you know, G- uh, January 1st, mid-January, early February, whatever it is, 
those are the the 12 forwards that I believe uh, that I personally would put down on the ice uh, on opening night. All right, we'll take one more quick break, and then when we return, we'll go through the defensive pairings. All right, welcome back to the Locked On These Podcast. Mike DiStefano, your host of the program, still with you. And just a quick reminder, we do do podcasts Monday through Friday. Um, try to do them every single day of the week, Monday through Friday. So that's five podcasts a week. Uh, at minimum, we get three done, at minimum. So make sure that you do subscribe to the podcast if you want that daily Leafs content. Uh, you know, we talk Leafs each and every weekday. Uh, and today we're just continuing going through the Maple Leafs lineup and who I believe will be the defensive pairings come opening night. So I already went through who I believe the forward lines are going to be. We're going to go through the D pairings and then obviously the starting goaltender. So there is little debate as to who is going to be paired up with Morgan Riley in game one. Some believe that Muzzin and Brody could possibly end up together as a complete shutdown uh, defensive pairing. I, however, do not. I believe that Brody was brought in to be with Morgan Riley, and it really seems that way basically because when discussing it with Brody and him signing here in Toronto, there was conversations about, you know, oh, can you explain what you feel like it'll be with playing with Riley? And he was comparing him to Mark Giordano, who he had in Calgary. And, you know, the, even the same question came up to Dubis, and he was pretty receptive and pretty telling that Riley and Brody are most likely going to end up being the pairing. But obviously did say the lineup's going to be up to Sheldon. In this case, I'm playing Sheldon, so it's up to me. So I'm going with Riley and Brody as my first pair. And I really, really love that. This is going to be... Maybe Riley's best season of his career. You know, he had a really good season uh, the, the the year before last, and I think he can have an opportunity to have an even better one this year. You know, with a solid D partner like TJ Brody, and he's somebody who not only can move the puck up, but somebody who's also stout defensively, will allow Riley to be comfortable jumping up into the rush. And when Morgan Riley's at his best, it's when he's jumping into the rush. So having a steady defender like Brody back there, who he would feel comfortable kind of leaving on an island to go and try and be aggressive and make plays... And, and just know that Brody will have his back. I feel like he's going to be even more aggressive. And uh, when, when he is aggressive, he makes plays. And when you make plays, you score goals. And, and that's what I think that Riley and Brody pairing is going gonna, is gonna to allow them to do. It's going to allow for them, not only them to score goals, but whoever's on the ice. Like It's just going to be a solid unit. And they, they'll be reliable defensively. You know, this is a, a unit with Riley and Brody who you can start in the offensive end. You could start in the defensive end. You know, you can really start them in any zone and feel comfortable with it, right? They're both, uh, they're not the best defense. You know, Riley's not the best defensive uh, defenseman. You know, Brody, he is pretty good. Uh, he's a really good defensive defenseman. So, you know, I, I would feel comfortable having them in all three starts. And and, and then that moves me to uh, to the second pairing where my legitimate shutdown Pairing, and that's Jake Muzzin, Justin Hall. I don't know where the hatred comes for Hall. I understand that he is not a number four defenseman. He's not a top four defenseman. But like I said when we discussed Hyman, Matthews, and Nylander, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Muzzin and Hall worked. 
I get it. He's not a number four, and he was exposed when Muzzin was out of the lineup. But as long as Muzzin's in there, and those two are a pairing together, they're pretty good. And they did a pretty good job at shutting shutting down uh, opposing top lines. So I think that they'll be able to do it again. I really do. And when it comes to trading, you know, whether or not Hall or Dermott gets traded, I've always been on Team Hall because he is a natural right shot defenseman. And if you get rid of him and you just kind of move Dermott over to the left or you move, you know, uh, Miko Lettinen over to the left side, uh, it just, you know, it, you only have Zach Bogosian as your natural righty because Brody, although a plays the right side more comfortably, is a natural left-handed defenseman. Some people forget that just because he is a right shot or a right, uh, a right defenseman. So Muzzin and Hall is my second line or my second D pairing. That's also my shutdown pairing. Those are the guys when you're taking faceoffs in your own zone. I'm sending out Muzzin and Hall over the boards, and uh, they'll just go out there, eat pucks, you know, mash bodies. Um, I, I really, really do believe that they can be a good enough shutdown pairing uh, for this team. The third pair has some competition, which I like. There, There's going to be an internal competition here for that left side defenseman defensive role. And it's between Miko Lettinen, Travis Dermott, assuming that he re-signs and doesn't get traded, and Rasmus Sandin. Last year's, uh, or two seasons ago's first overall pick. First round pick, not first overall, first round pick. You know, he's going to his third year. Letnin, a UFA coming over from Finland, who's having a bomb, bomb of a start over in Finland right now, who's, you know, he's going to be in midseason form when he comes over here. And he's already looking like a pretty, pretty good stud defenseman. And, uh, you know, he gets some time on PP2. And he feels comfortable playing the right should something occur. But I think that he's a player that the Leafs are going to want to try and get acquainted pretty quickly into the NHL because he seems like he's NHL ready. Sandine, you still got questions. You know, defensemen take a little bit longer to develop. I get that. So maybe he's somebody who, again, you string along slowly, you toss him in a couple of games throughout the year. That's if there's no AHL season. And... uh, and then when it comes to Dermot, I think you would have you you would move him. I I don't think Dermot is a guy who you would benefit from if he is your seventh defenseman. I feel like you you know somebody would be willing to take a chance on Dermot and play him in their top six. Certainly, like he is definitely a top six defenseman. There, there's no doubt about it. But somehow this Leafs decor just got deep all of a sudden. I wouldn't say they're deep, but they have a bunch of six, number six guys, uh, you know, third-pairing guys. I suppose you could move one of Lennon or Dermott over and move Bogosian out of the lineup and make him your seven. But I think that Bogosian is a guy who brings a little bit of, of nastiness to the Leafs decor, and I think they want that, right? They want to be tougher to play against, and that's something that Bogosian brings. It's also something that Lennon might be able to bring. Dermot, eh. So, that's what I got. Riley and Brody is my number one. 
you know, they'll be the guys I send over the boards in the offensive end too. But I feel comfortable playing them in all three zones. Muzzin and Hall, that's my shutdown pairing. And Lennon and Bogosian, that's my third pairing. Uh, and then the goaltending position. All right, so Freddie Anderson is is looks like he's going to be the starting goaltender for the Maple Leafs. There was a time where I did not believe that was going to be the case. I have since softened on it, much like the market for Anderson did. And I softened on it uh, long ago only because what I saw was an influx of goaltenders that was hitting the market. And I kind of had a feeling that that was going to... Um, that was going to kill the trade value of a guy like Anderson. And then if you're not going to get a really solid return back for him, you might as well keep him and roll the dice on another season, another year. Plus, it feels pretty good knowing that Joe Thornton believes that Anderson is somebody who this team can rely on to to win, right? Remember he said that in his press conference. He he said, you know, uh, Freddie Anderson, he he's a guy, he's a goalie I really like. He's someone I'm looking forward to working with. You know, he's somebody who he would have played against back when Freddie was in Anaheim. So I guess he knows that Anderson is a good goalie and he's excited to play with Freddie. So that, that's who's going to be the number one on opening night. The number two, some people think that it's a that there's going to be a competition between Jack Campbell and Aaron Dell. I'm just not one of those people. However, because Aaron Dell signed a contract, and I'm just going to quickly go and make sure what the contract is, uh, for 800000 So his contract is for 800000 which means the Leafs could save $125,000 by going with Aaron Dell over uh, Jack Campbell and they would have to expose Campbell or send him down, and, and he would be exposed uh, to waivers, I would assume. So he probably wouldn't do that. But that is the only way that I could see uh, Aaron Dell end up becoming the number two goalie on this team. Otherwise, look, it's Jack Campbell, and I'm totally okay with that. I was okay with Jack Campbell being part of a tandem. So if he's going to come in and, and just be the number two behind a guy like Freddie Anderson who could play you 55 to 60 games, now it's going to be a shortened year, so he's not going to play 50 60 games. You know, but regardless, he'll play you 60%, 60 to 65% of your games. Maybe 70, 70% of your games. And, you know, I'm, I'm good with that when it comes to Anderson. And Jack Campbell just has to play the rest. I totally feel comfortable about that. And if an injury occurs, that's when you'll see Aaron Dell. I, I think he's the third goalie, and he'll provide a little bit of competition. But at the end of the day, I think it'll be Anderson and Campbell in between the pipes for the Maple Leafs come opening night. All right, so there it is. There's my lineup, opening night. That's who I believe we'll be seeing lining up, suiting up for the Maple Leafs come 2021. Because uh, I think at this point we're not expecting to see 2020 hockey. I, I don't. I would be very surprised if we saw the NHL start their season in December. I think at this point it's pretty much guaranteed that it's not going to start till at least the new year. Um, but look, I, I like this team. I was high on them last year. I think I'm higher on them this year. VC and Simmons, you know, are they upgrades skill wise on Kapanen and Janssen? I don't think so. You would say skill wise and speed wise, they're they're downgrades. 
But they do bring a little bit of a different element that I think was missing from this team that will make them better. Thornton brings another element to this team that they've been missing that will make them better. What he's going to be able to do off the ice, along with a guy like Bogosian, who just won a Stanley Cup, is going to make this team better. So I'm excited for next year. It's a pretty good lineup. And Kyle Dubas and Brandon Pridham, they're working some magic behind the scenes. And uh, the Leafs only had to get rid of one player in this flattened cap, and that was Janssen, who proved to basically be expendable anyways. So hats off to Pridham and hats off to Dubas for, you know, knowing what they could get away with, negotiating well. (laughs) They didn't negotiate well for the Big Four, but negotiating well this summer and getting guys on, on rather reasonable contracts and being able to ice a pretty good squad. All right, that's to do it for me here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Lockdown Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow the show on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. That's my own Twitter, rather. You can follow the show, though, at Lockdown Leafs. If you want to hear some more hockey talk, be sure to check out the Lockdown NHL podcast where myself and four of the Lockdown hosts discuss the latest around the NHL. I'll be back with another episode tomorrow, but until then, keep it locked right here on Lockdown Leafs.